This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Metron Garage is a company designing unique garages, condos, and other structures specifically for the auto enthusiasts. They've got eight models to choose from, including two-story options, which I think is super cool, while with a very modern look and feel to them. And they come in all sizes, and they're fully customizable. You can check out them today and start specking your own ultimate garage at metrongarage.com, where you can request a catalog or talk to someone to learn more. So be sure to check it out. I just want to give a quick thanks to Euro Classics for sponsoring this episode. Euro Classics is all about collector cars, from servicing your new BMW M5 to prepping your Porsche for the racetrack to executing a total restoration on your favorite classic. They do it all from routine maintenance to performance upgrades to appraisals and everything in between. You can learn more about its owner, Dale Oaks, by listening to episode number 65 of this podcast. And you can find Euro Classics in the Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana service area and online at euroclassics.com. Classics, C-L-A-S-S-I-X dot com. Before we kick off this episode and looking into 2022, the first off, I guess, is if you're looking to sell your car and would like some advice, feel free to give us a call. Uh, you can reach out to me directly at gstanley at rmsuthabees.com or one of our car specialists at rmsuthabees.com. And the reason I'm saying this is that we have had a spectacular 2021, and I think 2022 will even be bigger and greater. Uh, for 2022, we will have online auctions every other month, basically, starting in February. Now, this is a great way to advertise your car, get your car out there, uh, lower consignment fees, and it is online. So that is one fantastic option. One thing I will say, though, that some cars are just better meant for live auctions. And sometimes this is some one-off models or some really rare cars that they just need to be seen in person for someone to really appreciate the, the quality of the build. And for 2022, we'll have all of our big auctions, Scottsdale, Amelia Island, Monterey, Hershey, uh, we have a sale coming up in Fort Lauderdale in March. So there's a lot of different options at a lot of different price points. And I know we'll have even more that you have yet to be announced. Uh, so we could find just the right venue for your particular car. One example I'll give is I was called about uh, a year ago for a 1951 Lincoln. Nobody wants a 1951 Lincoln right now, unfortunately. Cool cars for sure. And this particular person had gone to bring a trailer and they had gotten a reserve agreed upon for $26,000. And he wanted, at minimum, $28,000. And so a friend hooked us up. I went out to look at his car, and as soon as I saw the car, I thought, this thing is immaculate. It wasn't a Concorde car, but it was a really nice build that presented tremendously well. And so I ran the numbers on it. I got with a couple other car specialists at RM Sotheby's, and we came back and we said, we think it's going to sell between $38,000 and $48,000. So right there, he wanted $28,000. We we told him it would sell for ten dollars minimum above what Bring a Trailer was saying and what he wanted. 
and it ended up selling at Auburn and it sold for $51,000. And so that's just one example of how finding the right venue for a particular car can really help sell it above and beyond what your expectations might be. All right, so 2021, let me run through some numbers here for you. So this was just announced today. Total sales for RM Sotheby's in 2021, $406.6 million, almost half a billion dollars in sales. And on top of that, there was over $150 million worth of cars sold privately. So I've mentioned this before, but a lot of cars are sold privately. They never make it to the auction. So auctions, one option, private sales are another. If you have a very special car, again, it's something that we could either advertise on the website or just have it circulate within the car specialist. And that's a great way to get a car sold privately, but over $150 million sold privately at RM Sotheby's. And so when you take those two and combine them, it's $5.56 million in sales for 2021. Some other cool aspects, we had three big collections that sold. Uh, the total for these big collections was $135 million. So if you have a collection of cars and you want to feel secure in selling them at one time, uh, RM Sotheby's is a great place to do it. And we had 91% sell-through rate across all of our auctions. In total, we had 25 auctions, 13 were live in the U.S. and overseas, 12 were online, so tons of options there. First-time buyers, 51% of our bidders were first-time buyers. We had bidders from 70 countries and buyers from actually 46 different countries. So you truly get the global footprint at RM Sotheby's. All right, so that's enough <laughs> Enough about RM Sotheby's and how 2021 went. And then looking into 2022. So let's get on to the podcast. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all of you. And welcome back to the Collector Car Podcast. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. Today, we are going to talk about the 25 worst cars ever made. Now, this is a list from Edmunds.com. I thought they did a pretty good job. It's actually a top 50 list, so I'm not going to go through all 50, but I will go through the top 25 along with a couple honorable mentions. Now, we do have some fun stuff coming up. I'm trying to get ahead here a little bit so I can provide you quality content every week that you cannot find anywhere else. And when you do shows such as What Worth Its Weight in Gold, I guarantee you that no one is doing this type of content. So next week we have 100 cars that changed the world, 1930s through the 1940s, and I will continue to do a few more episodes on that until we get up to today. And then after that, I'm starting to dig into Jay Leno has in his incredible warehouse there in California and just kind of some fun insights from that. Uh, then beyond that, I'm working on the most expensive Porsche from every generation, and I will also have market trends included in that. If you'd like to know what's going on in the marketplace, I ask for you to listen to. So as always, thank you for joining us. Please share with your friends. If there's anything you would like to have, I am not providing. You can, as always, email me at greg at com. I am working on a new website, so it will be easier to access previous episodes and uh, hopefully all that will help in gaining more audience members here. So uh, thank you for listening. All right, now let's start with the top 25 worst cars of all time. Now, if you didn't get a chance to look at the cover artwork, please do. You can go to the website, check it out. It's pretty funny. RM Sotheby's does the artwork for me, and uh, I thought they really came out with a stellar uh, podcast cover art for this particular episode. A little teaser 
would be a gold garbage bag as part of the artwork. Let me first say that a lot of the cars that were 26 through 50 were a lot of the cars in the mid-70s to the early 80s. Some of these cars I never even heard of. The ones in the top 25 maybe are a little bit more mainstream cars that all of us will have heard of. And so here we go. We're going to kick it off now. Number 25, the 1977 Lincoln Versailles. Responding to the challenge of the Cadillac Seville, Lincoln took the Mercury Monarch added a continental bump on the trunk, a Mark IV grill up front, and tried to pass it off as sophisticated. Number 24, the 1976 Dodge Aspen slash Plymouth Volair. At Chrysler, it built these strictly conventional compact cars that proved a magnet for rust and were subject to a long series of recalls. Number 23, the 2007 Chevrolet Malibu Max SS. Kind of a station wagon, but with less utility and style. A low point for Chevy's SS badge. Now, remember, this is not my list. This is Edmunds. So if you have a beef, email Edmunds. All right, number 22, the 1990 Infinity M30 convertible. Spongy suspension, a lackluster drivetrain, and a soggy structure were enough to doom the M30. I wonder if that's the one that was mentioned in the George Clooney movie Three Kings because they talked about a Infinity convertible. All right, number 21, the 1996 Ford Taurus. What? The redesign of Ford's best-selling sedan effectively ended its life in the retail market. Weird when it didn't need to be. Number 20, the 1987 Cadillac Elante, a pointless front-drive roadster that was ludicrously expensive thanks to Pininfarina building its bodies in Italy and then airshipping them in 747s to Detroit for completion, an embarrassing attempt to take on the Mercedes SL. Number 19, the 1978 Fiat Strada, a disposable front-drive subcompact. It might not be a coincidence that Fiat bowed out of the U.S. market for 28 years starting in 1983. Number 18, the 1975 AMC Pacer. Unfortunately, a desperate AMC bet on weird and wide small cars with a fishbowl greenhouse, an archaic six-cylinder drivetrain. When you talk about this car, you have to start all of your sentences with Unfortunately, <laughs> I like the snark. All right. Number 17, the 2011 Aston Martin Signet, a $47,000 restyled Toyota or Scion IQ. Aston needed it to meet EU fleet emission standards, but didn't bother to make it at all Aston. Uh, I agree with that one. Number 16, the 1982 Renault Fuego. A fragile front-drive coupe that rusted quickly into dust or burst into flames amid random electrical fires. It was recalled for steering wheels that came off in drivers' hands. Never a good thing. Number 15, the 1971 Ford Pinto. Built to a $2,000 base price, the subcompact Pinto infamously lacked protection for its rear-mounted fuel tank. Ford wound up paying out millions in judgments. Number 14, the 1989 Chrysler TC by Maserati. A haphazard combination of front-drive K-car bits, indifferent assembly, and a two-seat roadster body that was indistinguishable from a LeBaron. It's both the worst Maserati and the worst Chrysler ever. Ouch. All right, number 13, the 1974 Reliant Robin. This ludicrously unstable three-wheeler turned turtle on its plastic body at the slightest provocation. Unfortunately, with a 750cc engine, it was underpowered too. All right, number 12, the 1983 Renault Alliance, an AMC-built, Americanized version of the front-drive 60-horsepower Renault 
nine subcompact complete with monochrome paint and white walls. Worse, in 1985 came a convertible so droopy the doors often couldn't close. Number 11, the 1917 Chevrolet Series D. Wow, we're going way back on this one. Chevy's first V8 could only manage 36 horsepower, less than the brand's four-cylinder. Ouch. Killed after 1918, the next Chevy V8 came a full 37 years later. Yeah, it's interesting. I always thought of like the 55 Chevy having a first V8, forgetting that one came so much earlier than that. But you can see why I forgot that. Okay, before I get to the top 10, how about a couple honorable mentions? Uh, let's see. The 2003 Chevrolet SSR. Spoiled by its ridiculously heavy retractable hardtop and underwhelming trailblazer chassis, the SSR could have been great. Instead, it was grating. Now, I, dis I disagree with this. I think the SSR is one of the best trucks ever. Think about it. It's a hardtop convertible, so you can enjoy it any time of year. It has a huge trunk you can cover up, so you could put in like all your golf clubs and your luggage and take the car up north or down south and have a great time. Now, you can't really tow anything, but that's beside the point. Another honorable mention is the 1976 Chevrolet Chevette. Instead of trying to build a world-class small car of its own, Chevy got ops for a cheesy primitive oval design that was a decade out of date, yet it stayed in production through 1987. We had one of these when I was growing up, and I used to say, hey, we got a vet. You know, I never clued in that it was a Chevette. And one thing I do remember is that the door gap was so bad, you could actually see the ground while you were in the car and the door was closed through a little crack. All right, the last one I'll call out is the 1950 Crosley Hotshot. Uh, this is a Cincinnati-based car. It's cute yet ugly. Uh, the comment here is the best name ever put on a terrible car. The 750cc engine engine's block wasn't cast but welded together from various pieces. It's amazing. So much ugly could live in a car this small. I would totally agree with that. It's like an ugly dog. I mean, you still love it, but it's ugly. All right, now on to the top 10. All right, number 10, the 1979 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme Diesel. As bad as the 5.7-liter Olds Diesel V8 was, the 4.3-liter version was worse. Sold only in the 79 Cutlass, the 4.3 diesel made 90 horsepower before shattering into shrapnel. Number 9, the 1957 Trabant, East Germany's two-cylinder, two-stroke disaster, somehow survived the fall of the Berlin Wall. It was literally made from old clothes and glue. <laughs> Number seven, the 1958 Edsel Corsair. Ford went hunting for a market niche that wasn't there and a redecorated Mercury that had been beaten with an ugly stick, the legendary flop of all automotive flops. Number six, the 2003 Saturn Ion. Shockingly incompetent to drive and with an interior to match, kick it and your foot might get stuck in the gaps between the plastic body panels. <laughs> Number five, the 1971 Chevrolet Vega. An engine that couldn't hold oil and a car built with contempt for its buyers. It's the car that invited Americans to buy Toyotas and Hondas. However, it did make a good pro-stock racer. Number four, the 1987 Yugo. This even cheaper version of the Fiat 127 seemed like it couldn't possibly be as awful as the slow price suggested. But it was. Number three, the 1955 BMW Isetta. Really? Originally designed by Italy's ESO. BMW built the single-cylinder, 12-horsepower, one-door Isetta for seven years. Parked nose-in to a wall. The door went it open. The whole car was a crumble zone. <laughs> Number two, the 1974 Ford Mustang II. Ooh, ouch. 
built upon the spindly bones of the Pinto, this shrunken, malformed pony is instantly appalling to Mustang lovers. Unfortunately, it was hugely popular with buyers stuck with serial fuel crises. And number one is the 2001 Pontiac Aztec. It may be cliche, but it's hard to argue with. Drive one and you will quickly realize that the Aztec exterior design is its best feature. It is the very worst car of all time because it is the only car on the list to kill an 84-year-old car company. The Aztec drove the biggest and last nail into Pontiac's plastic-clad coffin. So there you have it, the worst cars of all time, as described by Edmonds. So as always, thank you for listening, and I will talk to all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast. <laughs>